Well, hello, everybody. This is a special edition podcast episode from All Out War. We are rebroadcasting an episode that we did recently on the Warcast. And if you're not familiar with the Warcast, is the Warcast is our paid subscription uh, podcast episodes. So we have uh, made that available to listeners. We had 50 slots open. We have a handful left over. And those people paid $40 for 20 extra episodes a year. That comes out to $2 per episode. And we will be covering a a whole genre of topics and uh, discussions, uh, things that would probably, if we mentioned and talked openly about, would get us cut off of YouTube and uh, other places. So we decided to um, use that space for those types of things that we were going to talk about. And we decided to rebroadcast one of those episodes from the Warcast, our latest one, which is more of a Bible study, similar uh, type thing. And uh, it's it's Rachel and and Turner, me, and Rosie was not able to be with us, but it is actually a, uh, a talk about, we just, Rachel and I had a discussion about the Passover and the importance of the Passover, and uh, as well as we had some um, some pretty cool things that we shared about uh, the connections between the Passover and the communion meal and the importance relating to Resurrection Sunday. So today, uh, if you're hearing this as it's downloaded, um, it will be on a Thursday, and Passover starts on Friday, April 15th. So we wanted to make it available before Passover actually happens, so you could maybe hear it and uh, and think a little bit about Passover. So we hope you enjoy it. If you want to see more content from the private podcast, the Warcast as we like to call it, you can simply connect with us at All Out War Podcast at ProtonMail, uh, or you can also reach out to us on our Instagram page. Um, we're available there. And if you want to be a part of that, we have a few slots left over. So if you're interested and you're feeling generous, um, all the proceeds will go to um, help fund the podcast, the work, the effort, the the, the uh, hosting fees, and just the equipment that we use so that we can make sure that we have um, stuff that you would actually want to listen to. <laughs> but as I always say, sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. I just love that music. So good. 
(laughs) (laughs) So I was, uh, I was messaging. So, okay, let me set this up. How do I set this up? So I was, I do a, I'm a chaplain for my company that I work for. And uh, once a month I do a devotional with our company. And obviously when it gets to be the holidays or special days, I'll key off of those for my message. You know, people are thinking about it and all that. So I was going to do a resurrection Sunday, you know, AKA Easter. I don't even like calling it Easter personally, but I was going to do a resurrection Sunday, you know, um, message. And so I got to the start, started my message studying or whatever for my devotional. And, uh, I, I was like, man, I just don't, I wasn't landing on anything comfortable. So I decided, you know, a few years ago, I did this sermon, um, series when I was back at my, at the second church I worked with, and it was on the four cups of the Passover and how prophetic they are. And so I dug that out and I looked at it and I was like, dude, this is perfect. And, uh, and so, uh, I was like, man, I'm going to adapt this. And so I basically put together like a Passover message, you know, like devotional. Yeah. And uh, what I pulled out of was Exodus chapter six and then Luke chapter 22. And um, basically I took them full circle from Exodus historically all the way around to Jesus in the upper room doing the last supper, you know, the Passover meal. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I did my message and I felt like the Lord was there. I, I feel like the Lord's there a lot um, when I preach. It's just his blessing, you know. But uh, I got two messages from people. Two people reached out to me. One is an unbeliever and one is a believer. And the unbeliever was like, man, it, I, it's never made sense to me on these things. Like I just, you made it seem simple and understandable. And I realized how much God really does love me. And I'm like, oh wow. my gosh. I'm like, yeah, bro, this is good. I'm like, just give your heart to Jesus now. Just surrender your life to him, man. <laughs> Let him be your Lord. Yeah. And yeah. uh and then uh the next guy that messaged me was like a day later and he was a believer, but he's a, he's a he's been a believer for a while. He knows the Bible, he was raised Catholic. And uh his whole story was basically that um it's coming to life for him. The scriptures are coming to life. And um, so I was like totally blessed by that. And then I was thinking maybe I'll do a Bible study, just an independent Bible study and release it, you know, on the podcast or something. And then we were, I was like, hey, maybe I messaged you guys this morning about it. And I was like, hey, why don't we do this, you know? And uh, unfortunately, Rosie couldn't be with us because he's got something going on. And I didn't know if you were going to be able to make it because your baby. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but it seems like it's working now. So I, I should probably warn the listener if Rachel bails, it's just because of her baby. That's all. She doesn't disagree with the message, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for it. This is good. Yeah. I think people sleep on the Passover. I think, yeah, I think when they think about it, they think about it in the terms of it's a Jewish thing. What do I have to worry about? I'm not Jewish, you know? Yeah. The Exodus, you know, wasn't a big deal for me. I'm a Gentile. So who cares? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times the, the significance of it also gets lost in translation, especially in the new Testament, because even Paul is referencing, let us now keep the the feast when he's talking about the, the, um, 
the dinner that you would have to know that it was Passover that they were referencing. Otherwise, you're just going to think it's some random dinner leading up to um, Jesus' death and resurrection. When in reality, the significance of it is Jesus was the Passover lamb. That's why he had to die at a very, very specific time. And that's why they had their dinner slightly early. I mean, they had it. Um, well, we'll go into this later, but <laughs> all of those things happen in exact, the exact time that they were supposed to. And when Christians these days, I mean, they, unless somebody explains that context to them, they're not going to see the significance in it and they're not going to see it as important. They're just going to see it as a Jewish thing. But yeah, I think there's just so much richness in it yeah. that when you go and you study, um, you, the people back then would have seen just how he was fulfilling all of this. And now I just think that there needs to be that connection from, um, you know, the context that it happened in. And then now just being able to appreciate that so much more than just, Oh, it's just a dinner and just wine and just bread. No, it was so much more than that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, let's, let's start at this, the beginning the background, like for the Passover instructions and all that. Like, so historically, the when you read in Scripture in Genesis, when you get into Genesis uh, 42, you get um, you get the the people of Israel, the land, you know, the family of Israel, Jacob and his family, and, and uh, they have a famine in the land, and they end up entering into Egypt because their brother Joseph, who they had betrayed, gets thrown into prison, or he actually gets sold into slavery by them because they were jealous of him. And then Joseph ends up going to prison and then gets out of prison, and he can he has this gift to be able to interpret dreams, and he can interpret Pharaoh's dream, and he becomes the second in charge of all of Egypt. And through that time period, God gives him this dream, or the, gives the Pharaoh a dream about these cattle that are eating and then the other these other cattle show up and they eat them and they're skinny and fat and it's like this basically the interpretation of the dream he didn't understand and so Joseph was known to be an interpreter so he gives him the interpretation and the interpretation I think I'm getting the story right I might have my the chronolo- chronology of the story mixed up a little bit but these are the kind of the nuggets of it and um and then basically interprets the dream for him and he gives Pharaoh, the interpretation is that there's going to be seven years of fatness, where there's going to be lots of lots of prosperity, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so he says we should take the seven years of fatness, of prosperity, and save what we can um, for this drought that's going to come, and the famine. And so they do that, and what ends up happening is um, Egypt becomes this sort of safe place, and many people come to them to be rescued from the famine because they hear that they have food. And one of those groups of people are, are Joseph's family. So he reveals himself mm-hmm. to them when they come out. They end up settling in the land of Goshen, which is a really ripe, fertile area of Egypt. And and over the next, you know, 400 years, they, you know, we you go from Genesis 42 to Exodus chapter 6. And Pharaoh has died. Joseph has died. And the people of Israel are living in Egypt, and they have experienced great prosperity and blessing. They've grown as in their numbers from, 
you know, of what I think it was like, how many went in? I mean, I know the brothers that went in, but I think it might have been like 40 that went in or something like that. I should look yeah, up the number. So. There's probably some gematria in that number. I should look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then by the time Pharaoh is dead and the new Pharaoh is in, he doesn't like Israel, the Israelites. He begins to enslave them and lead them in a hard way. And then God raises up Moses to rescue them because the people of Israel are crying out to God. And God hears their cry. And he's, he literally says to, to them, I've heard your cry. And you're groaning, they call it. And he calls it. And then uh, and then Moses leads them out of Egypt miraculously after the plagues. And break. he basically breaks Pharaoh's will. And um, the significant plague that allows the Pharaoh that breaks his will is the the final the the plague of judgment by the the uh, angel of the Lord uh, taking the firstborn of every uh, every family that does not have the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, and they call it the Passover because. God had instructed the Israelite people to do this specific, you know, meal that they had to prepare of a lamb and bread without yeast, and they had to pr present the lamb in a certain way, and they had to take the blood from the lamb, put it on the doorposts, and when the angel came forward to judge the the people, if it saw the blood on the doorposts, it would pass over that house. So they call it Passover. Mm -hmm. And so it wouldn't stop on that house. And if it stopped on the house, it was going to take the firstborn. And that's exactly what happened. So even just obeying God was a big act of faith for the people of Israel. You know, it's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. So. Yeah. And apparently even some Egyptians, it was a, a vast multitude of people who left Egypt, not just Hebrews. So actually some Egyptians believed in that as well and put blood over their doorposts. Yeah, but it's really cool to see that um, that symbolism <laughs> popping up later. Yes, um, and also I thought this was really cool in Isaiah. Um, there's a verse Isaiah thirty one five like birds hovering. So the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare. The word is pasoach, meaning hmm. and rescue it. So that's where they get the word um, pesach, which is Passover. And then Pascal, um, which is the Latin version of that. So that's um, what originally, like before it was ever called Easter, it was called Pascal mm -hmm. um, because it was talking about Passover. So the Easter is a whole different story. <laughs> yeah. So if you. <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> we, yeah, we covered it uh, vaguely in one of our episodes back years ago. Just the origins of Easter, you can go check it out. But, um, and that's basically a pagan, it's, it's absolutely pagan, Babylonian, you know, Samarius who became Ishtar, who the name Easter comes out of, it's basically celebrating a, a, a quote, I'm air quoting here, virgin birth, right? Of her resurrected yeah. husband into Talmud. her womb. Yeah. Talmud. Who yeah. was, who his, the, the kid's name was Talmud. It was her husband's son, but she was married to Nimrod originally. So yeah. that's what's so crazy. It goes all the way back to there. So Easter was kind of co-opted by the Catholic Church and the Roman Empire when they became, you know, when Constantine and, you know, placed, uh, the, the proclaimed to be a Christian nation. So Easter 
you know, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely, it should be, it should be happening. There's nothing wrong with it. The church, should yeah. be doing, we should be doing it every Sunday. In fact, that's, that's kind of what the purpose of it was, you know, um, you sell, yeah. you preach the gospel and celebrate the resurrection, the life. But um, the past, that's why the Passover gets looked over by so many of these Gentile Christian churches, by yeah. so many believers. They just don't give it a second thought. And I was just blown away because like, well, let me just read a couple of verses out of Exodus 6, and this will kind of key us off in a direction. Um, Exodus 6 in your Bibles, if you ever have your Bible, you can get it or whatever. You can look this up later. But I, I like to start in, uh, in verse 2. It says, God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob and to, as a mighty God. But by, the, my, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. That's kind of cool to think about. I also established yeah. my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they, were, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, and this is where it gets really cool, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So uh, the I like to call them the I will statements, and what's interesting is God's making a covenant with the people of Israel in, in these statements in Exodus. Because whenever God says, I will, he's, ma he's declaring a promise. He's literally making a promise to the people. And he says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the... So that's the first one. I will bring you out in verse five, in verse 6. Um, I will free you in the second part of verse 6. I will redeem you in the last part of, of verse 6. And then verse 7, I will take you as my own people. So those four I will statements that he makes, um, those become instrumental in the Passover meal. And through the Passover, I've only done the Passover meal myself one time. Um, I did it with the school of ministry that we had at our church, and we celebrated. It was kind of cool. The food was great. Um I wish I would have known what I know now when I did it because it would have had much more significance to me personally. But um, they have four cups of wine in the in this meal, and each cup is one of represents one of those "I will" statements. So, um, and they all and they each represent some sort of testimony of God. So, for instance, the first one where he says, "I will." bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That's the cup of, they call it the cup of sanctification. And like when you think about it, like the cup of sanctification, sanctification means to be set apart. That's that's what it, you know, basically the definition of sanctification is to be set apart for mm -hmm. the purposes of God. And, um, and that's exactly what he was doing. He was setting them free and setting them apart from the rest of the world. The second cup is called the cup of deliverance. And that's the one where he says, I will free you from being slaves to them. So that makes perfect sense. You got to be delivered from your slavery in order to be free. So 
that's the the cup of cup of deliverance. The third cup, which is vital, is called the cup of redemption, and he says, "I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment." And then lastly, you have the cup of praise, which is, "I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God." So you have the cup of sanctification, cup of deliverance, cup of redemption, and then the cup of praise. So those are the four cups in the Passover meal that they, at different parts of the meal, and you've done the meal recently, right, Rachel? Yeah, we did it um, last year, and we did it in 2020. Cool. Um, and we're going to be doing it again with a larger congregation this year. So that's going to be really cool. Um, because in the past two, it was, you know, Andrew and I um, leading the dinner, and so we just did a very simple kind of um, from a, like a family guideline um, and yeah, I've kept it very, very, very simple. But I like that there is so much simplicity and just solemnity to it because not only was the first Passover meal I've ever eaten in haste, but it also was very, very humble. Mm-hmm. So I I love that like it doesn't have to be this big, fancy, you know, drawn out thing. And actually the simpler the better because then you really are paying attention to the most significant things about the dinner because all of them are pointing towards not only what happened at the very first Passover, but also hearkening back to those promises. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will bring you into the new land. Um, And then pointing towards Jesus later, um, not only his first coming, second coming as well. So I just think Mm -hmm. like it gives me goosebumps talking about it because (laughs) there's just so much richness in such a simple, humble, solemn meal. And, I, I love that we're given this to continually remember. Yes. It's like, for me, it's like, like every so often, like going back and reading my wedding vows, you know, like, mm. or going back and reading Andrew's wedding vows, because we don't have to keep doing that in order to remain married. Um, but it's so, it's an amazing reminder of the promise. Yeah. And so continuing to do the Passover meal is not essential, even though God's like continue to do it, continue to remember it. It's not like essential for our salvation, but it's a powerful reminder of what God delivered his people from and what he is promising to do in the future. And so it just, it's very refocusing and it's very, it just, it's so humbling, but also it just makes me want to just fall down on my face and just thank the Lord for what he's done. So I just love it. It's a wonderful gift um, to be able to do and also to just talk through with my kids. Um, So what were you going to say? I'm going to lose my thought if I don't, because there's two things that you said that actually stuck out to me in a big way. One is you you said it's like a a humble, like um, solemn meal. And, uh, and, most people don't realize that they were slaves. Like they were literal yeah. slaves. They didn't have it. Like to, to get this lamb might've actually cost them quite a bit being slaves, you know? And uh, the other thing was, is in haste because it was coming quickly, but the faith that it took for them to do it, because for 400 years they've been in, you know, in Egypt, not, they didn't have a temple and they weren't, they didn't have a place to worship. They didn't have, they didn't have the established liturgy of of their relationship in the old covenant 
Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because that's not going to come until they get yeah. in the desert with Moses. That's when he's going to make the priest with Aaron, and he's going to, you know, have Joshua and and Moses, and he'll have that whole hierarchical system that he's going to set up with the with the commandments and all of those things that are going to they're going to be given. So it was really by faith. Just this yeah. prophet Moses comes and says, "Hey, this is what you need to do if you want to survive. I'm just telling you, it's going to happen. You've been seeing the flies. You've been seeing the river turn to red." you know, turn to blood, uh, get ready, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So. That, yeah, that would take an immense amount of faith, especially if they felt like maybe God hadn't been very present in the past yeah. several hundred years. <laughs> yeah, because they've been slaves for a while. So, but the, the other thing that you said, which was really interesting, is you mentioned your marriage vows. And this is actually really cool when you, I mean, this, that kind of like, it was an epiphany for me. Whenever I talk to somebody about practicing some of these meals, like, oh, let's let's practice the feasts or whatever, they immediately go to, oh, you're legalistic. We don't need to do that to be saved. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, I'm not talking about being saved. Not at all. And, yeah. and what you're saying is like, let's go back and look at the promise that was made by God. Let's Let's partake and let's actually have a meal together. Because there's something that happens when you have a meal with people, you know, you, yeah. it's an intimate thing, you know, you're the fellowship and, and, you know, the, just the connection that happens and the conversation and all of that. But at, at, even more than that, you're a meal with a purpose to highlight, yeah. you know, the things that God, the promises God made. It's like, you're, it's like looking at your, like, I don't have to go back and look at my marriage vows. Uh, I don't ever have to, I mean, honestly, between you and me, Rachel, my wife and I, we've never done that because we did, we did the kind of the, the, the template wedding ceremony where they like, you know, to have and to hold, you know, to <laughs> sickness and health, the, the basics, you know? Yeah. So for us, um, just honoring them every day is a big, is a thing. Yeah. But Jesus said the mm-hmm. same thing about communion, which is a reflection of the Passover meal. And he said, do this often in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. So it's not a legalistic thing. It's not a salvation thing. It's actually, you know, an opportunity. And like I told someone, like, because I believe in the spiritual gifts, always have. Um, I know some of our listeners may not, um, but when you're functioning in them, um, you kind of, it's kind of hard to deny them. <laughs> and yeah. um, But I would say I don't have to function in the spiritual, in the gifts of spirit. I get to. You know, yeah. you don't have to celebrate yeah. Passover. You get to. Yeah. You know, so I was, was I yeah. was just thinking about those two things that you said that just kind of um, rang true to me. But um, yeah, so Jesus gets to he's practiced. Jesus practiced the Passover. He 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 did it three times in his ministry, and you can record. You can see in in the Gospels when he goes through his ministry he, three different times. He goes up to the temple area couple times it's not so great you know he's turning over tables and stuff and uh <laughs> wrecking shop and calling them snakes and stuff uh yeah. but um the final passover meal that he celebrates with his disciples is pretty powerful because that's when he declares the new covenant is about to happen and what's interesting is out of those four cups that he lifts up that he drinks the only one that's mentioned in the gospels is the third cup and it's the cup of redemption. 
And that cup of redemption in the third cup, you know, again, out of Exodus, it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And, you know, in the Exodus, when you read it in the book of Exodus, you think mighty acts of judgment, immediately your mind goes to, he's judging the Pharaoh and he's judging the people. That was what the Passover was about. He was taking the firstborn in judgment because they wouldn't let him, let the people go. But it's also prophetic because he says with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment, it's a picture of the cross. Um, you know, and when you nail someone to a cross, you have to stretch their arms out. And we know that the cross for for Jesus and for us was God casting the sins of the world upon Christ, which was he was taking my sin in his place. He was being judged for my sins. So when he yeah. says, I'll, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and a mighty acts of judgment, it was prophetic in that sense that an outstretched arm of, of the cross and the judge, God judging his son for my sins. And that blew me away when I saw that line. And I was like, oh my, there's like literally a picture of the cross. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was just like, man. And then, and then. So then uh, he says to the to his disciples, he says, I'm, I will not drink again from the vine. In other words, I'm not going to drink any wine again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so he only drinks, what we know of, he only drinks three cups at the most, but they only identify really the third cup. But he does not drink from the fourth cup, and he says, I'm going to drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And the the cup of that last cup, the cup of praise, is verse seven of of Exodus six. It says, "I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God." And that word "take" in the original Hebrew is "snatch." It's to snatch away. Um, it also was the same word that they used to show when a a bride was waiting for her groom, and he would show up, and he would actually take her because. You know, the wedding picture was that you'd get betrothed to be married and the groom would go off and build a house. And then when it was done, he would come back with this wedding party and it'd be like a trumpet blowing. It was incredible. And then he would take the bride with him back to his house and that's where they would live. And they would live for um, a year without working. They would just make their family, enjoy their marriage. And uh, they, she never knew when he was going to come back. So it was sort of mysterious. So you have the the last cup of praise. I will take, I will snatch you as my own, snatch you up. The, yeah. It's the word harpazo in the Septuagint, which is the Greek snatch. And we get our word harpoon, which is, you know, harpoon will gets a fish, boom, gets the fish, pulls it up out of the water, right? The harpoon. And so yeah. to me, it's a picture of the rapture. And that whole bridegroom story, waiting for the waiting for the groom to come, and we're supposed to be wise, you know, the parable of the of the brides, you know, waiting, you know, the, those betrothed uh, women waiting for the the groom to come, you know, the seven brides, um, trim your oil, keep it full. So there's this this whole connection where Jesus was just like the whole word is connected from the old to the New Testament. There's not like the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's it's God's word, you know. Mm-hmm. I hope people understand that. I'm I'm not trying to speak heresy or something, but it is all connected. No, yeah. I mean, that's all of the scriptures that Jesus have quoted 
was Old Testament. It's not like <laughs> there <laughs> right. was a New Testament that he was <laughs> quoting. He's like, the scriptures say, and what is he quoting? He's literally quoting the Torah. He's quoting prophecies. Mm-hmm. He's quoting all of that good stuff. So it's dismiss um, what Jesus was literally quoting from the Bible. So there's just, it's just so much significance and everything about it was pointing to him. Right. Um, uh, did you know that the fourth cup is also called the cup of the kingdom? No, but I love that. That's um, awesome. I like that better. Because of that last, I will statement where I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Um, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. So that has to do with that kingdom and that land that he has promised for us. Um, and so part of the Passover um, uh, guidelines that we did, the significance about that is you drink it to celebrate that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Mm. So then everyone raises their glasses and says, next year in Jerusalem, and you don't <laughs> drink it, you you pour it out. Ah, so that's why you didn't drink isn't it. Isn't that interesting? That's yeah. so cool. So it's almost like a promise of like, hey, maybe next year will be the one that <laughs> he's back, you know? Yeah. Um, also what's interesting is traditionally for Passover, you would leave a seat open for Elijah. Yeah. Because if Elijah was coming back, then that means that Jesus would be on his way, or the Messiah, anyway, would yeah. be on his way. The spirit they didn't of know Elijah. it was Jesus yet. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's awesome. I didn't know that, the kingdom. That's pretty cool. I'm going to have to write that down and remember that. Um, but so also, too, just in the cup of redemption real quick, um, this is something that um, our Gematria guest, uh, Lindsay, uh, episode 123, I think it was. Um, she was posting on her story like a day or so after I did this devotion, and she was posting about Passover. And one of the things in my devotion that I mentioned from the Cup of Redemption was that not only was that verse about the cross of you know outstretched arm and um, mighty act of judgment, but there's other places in the Old Testament where God alluded to the cross as well, one of them being Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is a really, really intense description of the crucifixion scene um, hundreds of years before it's going to happen, maybe a thousand years before it's going to happen. But not only that, it's actually prophesied in the description of the crucifixion before crucifixion was invented. So it wasn't invented for another 400 years by the Babylonians, uh, the Babylonian Empire there, um, after it was written in the Psalm. But one of the things that is written in the psalm, it, like even the things that Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like those, Psalm 22 quotes that, Jesus quotes that psalm when he's on the cross. Um, but one of the things, so she posted on her story, and I got to read this from her story. I just screenshotted it because it was in her story. It may, if you go to Darlene, is it Darlene Dwells? Darlene's Dwells? Do you Darling, remember? Darling's Dwell. Darling's Dwell, yeah. Darling's Dwell. Yeah. So you go to her Instagram, she might she might be on a reel or something she saved, you know, um, in one of her stories. But I just want to read through this real quick because this is pretty pretty sweet. Um, the word used – so in, in Psalm 22, he, he basically says that he's a worm. Um, verse 6, he says, uh, uh, 
it says, but I am a worm, I am no man. This is what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 22, verse 6. I am a worm, I am no man. And the word used for worm here in Hebrew is tolaath. In the Psalm 22, verse 6 denotes only not only a worm, but also identifies it as a crimson or scarlet worm that is common to the Middle East and predominantly in Israel. It should be noted that the colors crimson and scarlet are very deep, blackish red, which is the color of blood. And in this and in this crimson worm, we find a hidden meaning of biblical significance. When the female crimson worm is ready to lay her eggs, which happens only once in her life, she climbs up onto a tree, a fence, or a fence and attaches herself to it. With her body attached to the wood, a hard crimson shell forms. It is a shell so hard and so secured to the wood that it can only be removed by tearing apart the body, which would kill the worm. The female worm lays her eggs under her body, under her protective shell. When the larvae hatch, they remain under the mother's protective shell so that the baby worms can feed on the living body. That's kind of gross, but there's also some uh, there's some uh, significance prophetically there as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they can feed on the living body of the mother worm for three days. After three days, the mother worm dies and her body excretes a crimson or scarlet dye that stains the wood to which it is attached, and also her baby worms. The baby worms remain crimson-colored for the rest of their lives. Thereby, they are identified as crimson worms. On day four, the tail of the mother worm pulls up into her head, forming a heart-shaped body that is no longer crimson, but it turns into a snow-white wax that looks like a patch of wool on the tree or the fence. It then begins to flake off and drop to the ground, looking like snow. And then she writes, Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, uh, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So uh, that that was pretty crazy to think about, you know? Yeah. But then it goes on even more. Uh, it talks about um, it talks about how uh, these particular uh this worm this particular worm the crimson worm was actually used in all kinds of ways in relation to the temple for instance it mm-hmm. was it was used for dyeing the curtains of the tabernacle so that would have been in this shortly after this verse in exodus 6 it would have been like you know exodus 20 something when they established the tabernacle uh and um it also was used to dye the garments of the high priest um in, they use it in purification rites of a leper, okay, which is a picture wow. of sin, or the house afflict, afflicted by a leprosy, and it was also added to the ashes of the red heifer. Well, we know that the red heifer has to do with, uh, you know, the um, it's it has to be a certain you know perfect heifer for the the burnt offering for the priests so they can do their service, and mm-hmm. that's like a whole another podcast we could do on the red heifer, which is pretty cool. But, um, so anyways, I just thought, you know, think about it, man, like Exodus six, God's got these people who don't know him. They don't know him. Even Abraham, it says he only knew him in part. Like these guys only knew him in part and they are, they obey, they trust him. They do what he says. He leads them out with a miracle parting of the Red Sea, destroying the army of, of, of Pharaoh that pursue him, pursue them. And he's going to keep his promise to give them the promised land that, that was, you know, promised to Abraham. And he says, all I want you to do is just once a year, remember what I've done for you so your families will remember, so you won't forget. 
how faithful I am in the promise that I made. I mean, that's it's that simple. Like God makes it so easy for us, you know? And like hidden in it all is the gospel, is the promise of salvation that's going to come, the eternal rest that we're going to get. I just I just get blown away when I think about the forethought, you know, and this is like what um Brian Ryan Peterson, the Nephilim guy that we had on a, a, a few months ago, he he said, you know, like there's this God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's this metaphysical God that's like all all places at all times, you know? And mm-hmm. like, I think, you know, that's God can say these things and put these prophetic things, even down to the worm, uh, put them in place because he's already thought of everything. And nothing's going to be able to stop his plan. That's, I just, uh, man, I just get so excited about it, man. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Also, with um, the worm not only being crimson, it was also translated as scarlet, and mm. the scarlet cord um, mm. that uh, what's her name in oh, Jericho Rahab. Rahab. hung over the side Rahab. So that was that's so cool to me. Again, I don't know why. I just I keep getting goosebumps about this. But another, it's almost symbolic of you know the passing over, like the judgment passing over and the person who is being obedient and having faith is spared. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, it's so cool um, that all throughout there is, there's all of these pictures and all of it is pointing to what Jesus did. Yeah, it is. He literally fulfilled every prophecy. I think about like um, the road to Emmaus after the resurrection that story, mm-hmm. I think it's in Mark's gospel. And uh, he basically talks to the two people and it says, starting with the Psalms and the prophets, he, he opened their mind, he opened their minds to the scriptures pertaining to him. And I'm like, if I could get my hands on that Bible study, that would be so Oh man, amazing. I know. Right. And they're like, didn't our Give hearts. Me a fly in the wall, you know? I know. And they're like, didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke with us? And, uh, Wow. That's what the scripture says. And I'm just thinking to myself, what? That would be so incredible to get those verses. Like, in fact, I'm, there has to be someone who's like done a Bible study and pick, picked out all the messianic prophecies. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, they're in there. There's hundreds, hundreds of them. But yeah, gosh, what man. I love, I love when the people who have like, especially the Jews and the people who have all of that scripture and all of that richness of prophecy and like they've been pouring over it. They've been memorizing it. Like it's part of, you know, what they do, especially if they're Orthodox, but like you're memorizing all of the scripture and to be able to like when the light bulb finally turns on, like, <laughs> like I, I, it's so cool. And it, it just makes me want to weep that, all of their lives, they've been learning the, essentially the keys. They've been learning all of this history and all these prophecies. And when it finally clicks and it finally makes sense that, wait a minute, the Messiah did fulfill this. Mm-hmm. He did fulfill this. Then it's just even more richness. Like we as Gentiles, we kind of have to learn what we've been given and what we've you know, adopted and what's been passed on. But I think that, you know, we're not, we don't have all of that 
historical and cultural um, awareness as much as maybe they do. Oh yeah, and so it's it's kind of something that we have to learn. Like, I mean, I only just learned about all the significance of Passover three years ago. So something like that, where like learning about it for the first time, I'm like, I wish you know that I had been raised being able to look at this every single year and see this points to Jesus. Yes. And like they get to celebrate it every single year. I mean, it's part of their culture. It's part of what they do. And yet they're missing that one key of Hmm. all of this points to Yeshua. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that have happened over the church age just to like separate the Bible from its context and its history. And I think that that's really been, I mean, one of the biggest reasons why um, the Jewish community does not accept Yeshua as the Savior, but right. um, well, Paul but really, to, like, if, it, if anything, we should be making sure that those bridges are not burned, and we should be speaking about this and speaking about the significance of Yeshua in Passover, right? so that maybe, and, and all of the other feasts as well, so that maybe they will be able to start to see the significance of it as well. You know, that's a great idea. Like if you have Jewish friends, even if they're not, if they're just secular, you know, yeah. it, you invite them, have a Passover meal. Like they they would actually maybe appreciate it. But not only that, you could actually tell them the gospel <laughs> that's woven through the whole yeah. meal. And it might actually soften their hearts to receive the truth, you know, and yeah. surrender their life, you know. That's actually, um, we have several friends where that's their ministry. Like they found out that they were ancestrally Jewish. And so they've been able to make Aliyah back to Israel, but that's their biggest ministry is Mm. to, um, the Jews in Jerusalem. And I mean, it being part of their heritage, these people are celebrating every single year. Um, but they're able to invite in people who don't know, um, about Yeshua, or maybe they just, you know, have rejected him. Um, because there is that disconnect where they think that, you know, he's done away with all the old Testament when in reality, he said that until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will be removed from the law and all of these words. So I think that there's a huge, there is that huge disconnect where, you know, modern evangelical <laughs> believers think that all of that is not significant anymore. When in reality, all of it is pointing to him. Yeah. And if we could somehow bridge that gap, then maybe there would be more um, Jews actually coming to know Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, w- this is the problem is that, um, uh, like, when you talk about like these promises that God made, they were fulfilled in Christ. They weren't. They weren't mm-hmm. abolished, and the yeah. law was fulfilled. And Paul goes into great detail in Galatians and in First Corinthians, you know, chapters eight through ten, where he's talking about like the stronger, weaker brother. He's talking about the the approach of legalism into the church and the Judaizers who were trying to corrupt the pure gospel of faith and grace. Um, and this isn't anything like that. Like, yeah. you have to get out of your mind that this is something that if, if like, for instance, there's going to be billions, and I mean this, billions of Gentile believers in heaven that may have never, you know, had the Passover meal. 
yeah. and may not even understand these things. They just trust in Jesus because someone gave them the gospel and mm-hmm. nobody gave them the other stuff too. You know what I mean? Like this stuff, this historic stuff, this Old Testament stuff. And so there'll be lots of people in heaven that are going to be eating at the marriage supper of the lamb for the first time. Like that's their first pass Passover meal, yeah. you know, not that yeah. the, the marriage supper of the lamb isn't a Passover meal necessarily, but my whole point is that, and I guess at that point it won't matter because we're there. <laughs> yeah. It's I done. mean, at that point it would be more like, um, Sukkot, which is the is festival of tabernacle. Yeah. The, yeah. The booth, yeah. Where God is tabernacling with us. Yes. And it's a huge, long seven-day celebration. And then on the eighth day, it's called the Great Eighth Day, and it was kind of symbolic of eternity. Mm. So that's that's going to be really cool. And mm. I have a feeling that we'll definitely be celebrating a little bit of that <laughs> right. in heaven. And that's the thing. Is but like yeah. God hid his truth in all kinds of different things in the sense of practice and... Um, like, you know, it may not have been a doctrine for them to, he said he wanted them to, to celebrate the, the, the Sukkot or the feast. I, I always call it the festival of booths or the feast of booths. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's to remember their Exodus too, when they're in the desert tabernacling, you know, out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not, it's not like doctrine, but at the same time, it's got instituted it so that they would remember the truth and remember the core things mm-hmm. that were vital for them to continue to walk with him you know, mm-hmm. in obedience. And um, it's not a legal, I just, I want to press that really hard. It's not a legalistic thing. Like you don't have to do this. You don't have to celebrate Passover, but read up on it and look into it. I mean, if Jesus did it, th- there's a good chance. Now I know Jesus was Jewish, but there's a good chance that there was some some importance to it, <laughs> especially when he said to the yeah. church, do this in remembrance of me. Some of your churches do communion mm-hmm. every Sunday, you know, I know yeah. my church does. They have communion every Sunday, which I appreciate that actually. Um, but uh, it's part of that meal, you know. It's part of yeah. that meal. And his body was the bread, the unleavened bread. You know, it's bread without yeast, meaning yeast representing sin. So there was no sin in the bread, and Jesus took and broke and ate and gave it to his disciples. He says, "Eat of this. It's my body that's been broken for you." You know, think about that. That's like his sinless body being sacrificed, broken, poured out, you know, is, is put upon a cross, yeah. judged. And then, and then he took the cup and he said, drink, drink, drink this. It's the blood of my new covenant, you know, for the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> like how much more clear do you get? <laughs> Can you get yeah. it? <laughs> but uh, I feel yeah. I feel like the evangelical church, I don't want to rag on them, but I feel like we just dumb it down. We just boil it down to the easiest denominator, you know, lowest common denominators and and tell people to just be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which in and of itself, just being good, that's legalism. Right, um, right. <laughs> because it's about behavior. <laughs> it's not about, you know, your changed heart and realizing that nothing you were ever, ever going to do or ever will do is going to be the result of your salvation or will result in your salvation. Right. That it's a gift. And even in the old Testament, it was all just symbolic. It wasn't actually yes. uh, covering sin because in so many instances you have 
and God will be your salvation, and I have saved you. And in those phrases, you have Jesus' name, you have Yeshua, that God is my salvation, it's his name. So I think that it's, it's so cool that like people, they do get lost in that. Well, I mean, they used to do sacrifices and that covered sin. No, it just pointed to what was going to happen through Jesus once and for all. And even now we have to remember that like once we're saved, it's not just like, Oh, and be as good as you can. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, just continue to remember his sacrifice and remember that you have been passed over that your sin is covered and that the Holy spirit is indwelling you now. And God has, he's, (laughs) he's redeemed you. So all of these things, I think just help make that like picture of salvation more clear because you're actually acting out and remembering this story. Mm. Um, And I mean, that's one of the easiest ways for me to explain things to my kids is, through a story with actual tangible pictures um, or tangible actions and motions and things that were helping solidify um, in our heads. And one of the quickest ways for them to be able to remember a story is to, con- to read it a lot, to repeat it a lot. Yes. And so I think that's so cool that, you know, we get the chance if we want to, we don't have to, but we get the chance to go through this dinner and every single thing is pointing to his death. That's right. His burial, his resurrection. So if you ever, listeners out there, if you ever get the chance to go through um, the Passover dinner, um, there are so many good resources out there for um, Christian believers to be able to um, see all of the significant um, points um, with a lot of scripture in order to observe the dinner because everything down to the dinner elements, because you have, you have the bowl of salt water for the tears. You have the bitter herbs that remembers the bitterness of slavery. You have the bone um, of the lamb and it represents the lamb that was slain. You have um, three pieces of unleavened bread, which symbolizes the father, the son and the Holy spirit. And interesting because the unleavened bread, the one that you break, um, that's symbolic of the sun. And then you hide one of the pieces in um, like a towel and you go look for it. And that's symbolic of his death and burial and his resurrection. But the bread itself is supposed to be pierced. So traditionally, when you go and you buy matzah from the store, it's pierced with a fork. Mm. And that's symbolic of his being pierced for our transgressions. And by his stripes, um, he gives us our peace. It's, or we're healed. So if you ever go and pick up matzo from the store, you'll see that that's the tradition that it's made in, even though they don't even, you know, acknowledge Yeshua. That's, that's what it's supposed to be symbolic of. Yeah. So you um, have the little piercings and you also have like the, the cook marks. It looks like stripes. Yes. So mm-hmm. by his stripes, we were Isn't that healed. Interesting? Yeah. <laughs> God doesn't leave out anything, man. He's like, even if you don't, even if you don't want me, I'm still going to, I'm just telling you, I'm here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, there's a verse, yeah. there's a real quick, there's a verse in Colossians chapter, chapter two, verse 17. It says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So mm-hmm. he's talking about the old, you know, he's talking about the old Testament. He was talking about the old covenant. You know, these are a shadow 
of the things to come. But the reality is that they were fulfilled in Christ. So <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So you, you were, go on. Was there more that you wanted to add? Um, well, I mean, just that about finding a resource, if you want to learn more about it from um, a Christian perspective, because obviously if you go about it from uh, like a Jewish perspective, they won't include the things about Yeshua. But um, if you, there's so many good resources that are, um, you know, showing you how to go through and have Passover um, from a Christian perspective and nothing's changed or anything. It's very, very pared down and simple, but then it brings up all of the um, scripture from Matthew where Jesus is actually going through the dinner as well. Mm. So um, it's really neat because it's like showing you at what part, you know, he had the cup and at what part he was breaking the bread. And um, Mm. so it's really neat. And I, I, you know, there's still some time to, you know, find that guide if you want to do that before um, Friday. I wonder, but, um, I wonder if I could put it in the, the show notes somehow that, that guide. Yeah, I could find, cause the one that I used, um, was from a company called peaceful press and they have a free Passover guide every single year. And you can just go to their website and you can, um, download it for free. They send it to your email. So that's a very, like, that's if you have young kids, um, mm. it's very pared down and simple, and it's got some activities with um, memory verses at the end and, you know, different little activities. Um, and then a hymn that you can sing. Um, it has Hallelujah, What a Savior mm. at the end. So I just, I love all the little elements that they put in there to make it, um, you know, interactive for kids. But, um, but then they include so much scripture for you to read through as a parent. Um, so this is more directed somebody who has young kids. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you want to grab a book, there's um, the one that I like is called, um, I think it's called Seeing Jesus in the Feasts. And so it has each of those hmm. and it has the significance of, um, it's very, very short. It's on Amazon. Um, and it just is pointing to, um, all of the verses and all the prophecy and the significance of each element um, at those feasts that was pointing to Jesus. So <laughs> I remember uh, about a year ago, maybe a little bit, maybe two years ago. Gosh, I don't know. I, we were talking, but I don't think you were on the podcast yet. Um, but you and Andrew and I would talk all the time. And you guys were in Florida, and you yeah. were you had told me you were celebrating all these feasts now. And you were like totally down on all these feet, like, like not down, down with all these feasts. Like you were like, Oh, we're going to do this. And I was like, dude, what's up with Rachel, man? She's like, she's <laughs> celebrating the feast. Like what's happening. And I was like, I remember thinking and talking to Rosie. I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. And I like, cause just ignorance. Right. And so your fear gets in the way because of ignorance. And it also feels like cognitive dissonance, like a little bit, you know, it's like, I haven't been taught that that's not, that's not really uh, that. That can't be right. I haven't been taught that before. I've never heard that in church, which is good. I think that's a good initial response because it, it does help protect you from heresies and all of that. But <laughs> when you unpack this and look at it for what it is, it's actually <laughs> it's completely biblical. You know? Yeah. It just makes me laugh. Yeah. And yeah, again, that's like the disconnect of the modern church and the actual 
I mean, the history and the context in which the Bible was written, you have to understand what was happening at the time. And just so many people, it's been disconnected for them. So anything else feels like, well, why would we do that? Isn't that like a Jewish thing? No, I mean, like every single thing, every single element of it was pointing to Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to find the book for you and I'll send it to you. Um, You know, just so you can look it over. But, um, yeah, but it's really cool because you're seeing the gospel in every single one. Well, that's the thing. Like, look, there's no feast involved, but Genesis chapter three, verse five, where he gives the promise of through the seed of woman, God's going to crush this, the head of the serpent and, you know, he'll strike his heel, but he'll crush his head that all that seed and that's messianic prophecy right there, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I think that, you know, uh, if we can make sure that, that we're, um, you know, looking at these things with the heart of God wants to bring us to the truth, I think it'll help you through that navigating, like, should I, shouldn't I? What? And we're not mm-hmm. saying you have to become a messianic Jew. You're a Gentile. You're you're a Gentile. Yeah. But guess who else was a Gentile? Abraham. <laughs> he was a Gentile. God made him into the Jew, you know, when he circumcised him. Mm-hmm. But my whole thing, mm-hmm. the whole thing is, is that, that it's, you know, uh, you don't have to be so uptight. Like, I think a lot of people get uptight about it for, for whatever reason they get uptight about it. It's like, no, we're free from yeah. all that. It's all, that all died with Christ. You know, like that died when Christ came and he, he rose from the dead. The old Testament was sealed and done. It's over. But there's prophecies in Daniel that talk about the end times. There's Ezekiel, right? <laughs> we've, we've got mm-hmm. stuff we lean on to mm-hmm. help us understand and discern what the future is going to hold. So why would we close it up like that and just, you know, mm-hmm. cut? Or what's the guy that, oh, man, this drives me nuts. Um, what's his name? Uh, Stanley. Andy Stanley. We need to unhitch from, oh. from the Old Testament is what his exact words were. <laughs> unhitch from the oh Old my Testament. Gosh. What does that leave Are you, you with? Are you kidding me? Right. It's yeah, all, I know. It's all, one, it's all one scripture. What does that leave you with? Dude. Yeah. Oi, man. So, hey, I got <laughs> Oy <something> vey. for you. <laughs> um, have you ever heard it said that, like, Jesus, the cross, at the cross, like, the law was nailed to the cross mm. and died with him? No. He nailed our sins to the cross, and our sins are the thing that has actually died. And so there's so much that's in, I mean, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but the Torah is just the, you know, first five books. And then you have, um, the Tanakh is, that's, uh, everything else. That's everything else about the old Testament. So you've got history and you've got prophecies and songs and writings and everything, but all of that with everything pointing to Jesus, if we were to somehow say, Oh, all that's dead and gone. And that was nailed to the cross and it's done away with you. You, yeah, exactly. You're losing out on, all of the prophecy, all of the things that have ever pointed to Jesus in the first place, all of the things that the New Testament writers would have been referencing. Um, and you're losing all of that history and the significance of why he even had to come in the first place, like why there was even a necessity for blood atonement. How are you going to explain blood atonement to somebody, but also simultaneously tell them that the Old Testament doesn't matter? Right. You know? Right. So, yeah, because that comes out and, of and that's, a, and that's been a big thing in a lot of the 
you know, deconstructing Christian movements um, is they are basically turning away from everything that was lined up in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They're because they just don't, they don't want to, you know, follow a God that would exercise that kind of judgment, but they are missing out on all of the mercy and all of the times when God had mercy on Israel and all the times he actually had to step in and be their salvation. And the the time that Jesus had to step in and be their salvation, they're just like, well, you know, I want to be, I want to see myself as, you know, innately good. And if you aren't in the old Testament reading, you know, how God created you and how we fell and how there was a need for redemption and how God provided that sacrifice in so many instances. I and mean, when you think about um, Jacob and Isaac, or not Jacob and Isaac, I'm sorry, Abraham and Isaac, and God providing the sacrifice each time, um, all of those things are pointing to why Jesus even needed to came and come in the first place. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's all of those things, just they help. Um, and, you know, you could not, know about them and believe in Jesus and die. And I totally believe that you will be saved, but all of those things are really helpful in understanding why Jesus needed to come in the first place. Um, And being able to explain your faith and the necessity for a savior is huge. Otherwise, I mean, what's the point? Right. Right. What's the point? Like telling some, I mean, yeah, the gospel is basic, simple, and people just need to trust them. I mean, it's childlike faith, right? We, we, we don't, mm-hmm. we don't, it's not complicated, but you, there are, there is a depth to it that is, it should be explored. And the more, you know, yeah. the easier it is to answer harder questions too, because people have opposition and questions and their concern. Um, but you were talking about uh, that verse about nailing it to the cross, talking about the, the legal, you know, the law or whatever. Um, it's Colossians 2.14. And <laughs> I looked it up real quick. This is amazing. It says, in, and I'll read from 13. I'll, I'll read 13 and 14. It says, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And then it goes on to say, mm-hmm. in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So <laughs> it's not even wow. It's not even talking about an abolishment of the. It's talking about how your indebtedness to Christ, to God, because of your sinfulness, was actually nailed to the cross. <laughs> yeah, your your debt and. Because the law still exists, right? Like, if the law abolished... I mean, that's the thing that convicts us of our sin. Not only that, but for an unbeliever, if the law was abolished with Jesus and an unbeliever dies after Christ, then what are they judged on? What basis are they judged on? Yeah. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, if it all just just disappeared because of Jesus and it's not necessary anymore... Then, then how in the way, how in the world can would a righteous God be able to judge justly over a people that will face judgment um, if yeah. if it was if it disappeared? 
you know. And I think that is one thing that, you know, that's also something that's lost is like if you're abolishing, <laughs> instead of wiping away the debt because of grace, and instead of that, you're just removing the parameters so that everything goes. Right. Like, where's the victory in that? Like, why did Jesus need to come, you know? And how are we going to continue to live? Right. Yeah. So, and that's the other thing is he, t- he goes on there. He says, um, he talks about living, you know, by the spirit. And it's also cool too, because he says, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink for celebrating on certain, for not celebrating for or not celebrating on certain holy days or moon ceremonies or Sabbaths for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. <laughs> That's the other yeah. verse that I was... Well, it was interesting because there in Colossae, they were, um, I mean, these new believers were in the middle of a very, very pagan community. Mm. Yeah. So they were going to be very ostracized by suddenly, you know, abstaining from these different things or um, starting mm-hmm. to follow the Sabbath or, you know, celebrating different holidays completely so you can see how being set apart in that way by suddenly following um yeshua and that way the way they would be (laughs) probably look at as very weird very peculiar yeah and and i will say this in the same way that that i won't be a legalist about somebody who wants to participate in the feasts you know as a believer um I'm going to be the same way about a believer who wants to celebrate Easter or Christmas. I'm not going to mm-hmm. I'm not going to stand in judgment over them either. You they they only know what they know, right? And they yeah. they're living up to their conscience, whatever their conscience is permitting them to. And so I'm not going to allow myself to sit in judgment over someone and say, "Oh, well, cuz I've heard Christians that they start to get into this this arena of theology and they they say, "Oh, well, Christmas is you know, it's evil. We, it's a pagan holiday. It is. I mean, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. It's almost yeah. provable that he was born in in September, on September 11th. That's, which is, there's a whole thing about that. You know what I mean? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's so much there. Like, and if you listen to our podcast enough, you know what that means when we talk about September, you know, 9-11, the whole, the, everything that happened on 9-11, um, the ritual, um, and the fact that December 25th was actually the birth of Tam, we were talking about um, Isis and Samarius, um, the wife, Semiramis. Semiramis, yeah, Semiramis, the wife of uh, of of Nimrod. The she, after he died, she got pregnant. She proclaimed it was a miraculous virgin birth or virgin pregnancy, uh, even though she had been married to Nimrod. And uh, it was actually she got knocked up by somebody, and she to cover her track, she claimed that. And then the baby that was born, she said, was the reincarnated spirit of Nimrod. So it was her husband slash son, but he was born on December 25th. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the bigger things that was kind of co-opted by the Roman Empire and then um, continued onward. Yeah, and, and it's, uh, it's just Mystery Babylon. It's just continuation of Mystery Babylon, you know. It made it a quick way for like, oh, you're a new believer. You're, you know, a pagan becoming a believer. Well, it's okay. You don't have to lose your holidays. We've got one for you. So it's it's interesting that, I mean, it's become like, you don't even have to be a Christian to celebrate Christmas. It's universal. 
Yeah. And same thing for Easter. All of it is absolutely universal and can be completely secular. And if you actually dig into when um, those events actually happen, you might be putting it at a different date. So the the point becomes like, okay, well, why are we even doing this in the first place if not just to fit in? Now, there are people who, yes, they do. um, And I was one of those who was celebrating all of those, um, you know, Christmas and Easter with the full intent of it being about Jesus. Like we never celebrated the secular versions of it. We right. did not do Santa Claus. We did not do the Easter bunny. We did not do any of that. All of it was pointing to Jesus, which yes, like it's great. And it becomes a, uh, you know, a ministry opportunity if that's your focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that those issues are solved. Um, what's the word? <laughs> Uh, Salvific, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think any of those things have anything to do with your salvation. Um, but I mean, you know, once the believer is stronger, then they can start to dig in a little bit more and start to get into the meat of like when things actually happened. Yeah. Um, but oh gosh, what was I going to say? Um, with um, both Christmas and Easter, um, you know, and celebrating it in, I guess, the Christian context. One thing that also kind of gets lost with the dates being messed up is you're kind of missing out on what, you know, when, what time frame it happened and what was going on. Like Passover and that week leading up to Passover, there's so many significant things happening that Jesus fulfilled because it was laid out very specifically, even the day and the time that he was in the temple mm. being examined was the same <laughs> like day and time that the lambs for Passover were being examined to make sure that they were absolutely perfect. Yeah. And the very, very time that he died was the time that you would be slaughtering your lambs for Passover. And the very time that he was going in the grave and all of those things are so, there's so much significance in it. And I still wish that those were things that we got to learn right. leading up to, you know, um, good Friday, resurrection Sunday. Like I wish that I had learned those things because those are things that, you know, I want to be able to teach my kids and instead I'm having to unteach them yeah. when it comes to Christmas and Easter. You know what I mean? Like my kids are like, well, why are these people celebrating with like an Easter bunny? And I'm like, this doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. How am I going to explain that? I know. To Where'd this bunny get in <laughs> You know in what here? I mean? Like they're starting it fresh because like as long as they remember for the past two years, and I mean my kids are five and three, um, I've just been trying to explain things through the lens of, you know, what happened in the Bible. So there comes a point where you're just going to have to, you know, question yourself, you know, what, why am, why am I doing what I'm doing? And, What's the point? Oh, you know, I remember what I was going to say. Traditionally, in Hebrew culture, you did not celebrate birthdays. That was actually kind of a pagan thing to do. Really? I didn't know that. Nobody in the new church um, would have been celebrating birthdays. And that's why it's not commanded in the Bible Mm. to be celebrating Jesus' birthday. So the big argument about it didn't really happen until, you know, later on after a few hundred years because there were so many Gentile believers by that point who were very accustomed to celebrating birthdays because that's a little bit more of a pagan practice. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's why you have people celebrating like the birth of the unconquered sun. Um, why you have people celebrating Saturnalia, like all of these things that had to do with birthdays of different gods. They were like, well, you know, what was Jesus's birthday? Why can't we celebrate that when it wasn't even like a Hebrew thing to do? Like they didn't even do wedding rings. Like they're very, very, very different from a lot of the pagan things that were happening. And so I don't really think that like, you're not, aside from just, you know, not participating in worldwide culture, you're not really missing out a whole lot. If <laughs> worldwide you culture, <laughs> aren't cel- <laughs> you aren't cel- if you aren't celebrating, you know, Jesus's birth on a specific day, like it's okay. Like it's not a big deal. You know, it's really, really cool to go and read the nativity story on the day that maybe he would have been born. But I think that you can celebrate that and read through it and just be awestruck by it on any day, you know? Right, Like, it it doesn't have to be on just one day. We shouldn't limit it to just one day. Well, you know what's interesting? You were talking about the the inspection of Christ when he was being, you know, inspected. And then the lambs, at the same time, the high priest would be looking at the lambs, whether or not they were disqualified or qualified for sacrifice Mm -hmm. for Passover. The... And then nativity story in Nazir in Nazareth, the root word is Nazir, which means root. And um, the shepherds that lived there were very poor, but they were actually the shepherds that would tend to the the sheep that would be used in the sacrifice for the temple. Mm-hmm. They were the temple sheep. So Jesus was born in the town where the sheep are raised for temple sacrifice in the name mm-hmm. of the town is Nazareth with the root her root word is nazir nazir means root or stump and what do we know that the bible talks about the prophecy that jesus will be from the root of jesse or the he'll come from mm-hmm. the stump of david you know in other words he's mm-hmm. from the lineage of king david as one of the prophecies mm-hmm. for confirmation and um so his town nazareth you know is in that territory of the sheep. I mean, everything about it, God just had all these details just worked out. And, you know, I mean, look, if you're in a church and they're doing a Easter egg hunt, you know, after the service or whatever, I get it. It, you might think it's innocent. It doesn't do anything and it's just fun for the kids or whatever. And there's grace. I'm not going to stand and judge you for that. Like judge that. I, I, you know, who I do hold accountable are the leaders of that church. Mm-hmm. That's who I hold accountable yeah. because they're actually distorting the truth. Now, the the and people are like, "Well, you're being legalistic." No, I'm protecting the truth. There's a difference. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like out of all of the things that you could be highlighting and celebrating <laughs> right. on that day, you know, like why not point them to something so cool and so significant? And it is. It's so different from anything else in the world happening right now. I mean, like. And that's one of the biggest reasons that, you know, God's people had that specific way of living was to be completely set apart. And later on, you know, he says that people will ask you the reason for the hope that you have in you. Like you're going to be shining like a city on a hill. You're going to be different standing out in the darkness. And it's okay to start digging into these, practices and these traditions and everything like that that have been going on for literally thousands of years mm. and start to dig into the things that actually were pointing to the Messiah 
And then you'll be, you'll begin to see that all throughout the Bible, he was leaving those <laughs> just gold nuggets, if you will, um, pointing to himself and drawing us into relationship with him. And then the fact that we get to be grafted into that root, you know, the fact that we get to be welcomed into that family and the blessings of being, you know, Abraham's children, we get to partake in that even as Gentiles. Like I just, I feel so blessed that it's not so exclusive that if you weren't born into it, you don't get to have it. You know, like we all, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And you just have to understand where he came from and why he came. Yeah. And it's so cool. Like we get this gift. <laughs> yeah. And it's all, you know, pointing to him. Everything. Mm-hmm. Colossians two fourteen. It's all just a shadow of mm-hmm. things. It's all shadow of the reality, but the reality is in Christ, you know, it's all fulfilled. But man, that's mm-hmm. awesome. I, I just um yeah, maybe we need to do an episode on on Christmas, Easter and and the whole pagan connection there and not to rag on anybody but you know i mean look our house christmas is a big it's a big thing our family first of all for our family it's really special um my anniversary Mm -hmm. my birthday is right around it rosie's birthday is right around it there's some really i I know look the jews don't celebrate birthdays but look i appreciate i appreciate (laughs) rosie i'm gonna celebrate his birthday at least they didn't used to (laughs) right you know he's my buddy we're gonna i'm gonna celebrate his birthday but uh it's okay i don't think you're pagan (laughs) right but we would my wife would bake a cake when the kids were little and she i think she did it like two years ago too so they're not even that little now but she would bake a cake happy birthday jesus (laughs) we would (laughs) yeah i mean it's like um in in some ways you're trying to co-opt back the truth for the holiday or Mm -hmm. whatever you know and um Mm -hmm. even though you know and even I've known for a long time that Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th, but if the church wants to make that the day and recognize it or whatever, I'll, I will proclaim his birth more on that day. You know, that's fine. I don't have a problem. I just don't want pictures with Santa in the fellowship hall or Easter egg hunts yeah. after church. I think those things are, you're trying too hard to go, and we're probably going in a direction we don't need to go with the podcast, but they're to me they're just that's those are signs and i'm going to sound really harsh here but they those to me are signs of the apostate church they're just yeah. like take a hard look at what you're what you're what seeds you're planting in the minds of those people there and yeah i know a lot of unbelievers walk through the doors of churches on christmas and easter less and less do every year because mm-hmm. they refuse to preach a hard truth that you need to be saved by Christ and he died for you and he loves you and you're saved because of your sin. Like the truth of the gospel convicts and you know you experience the adding to the numbers of the church because of the truth, you know, mm-hmm. not because you adopt the culture and you you make it like an ad for Coles, you know, with kids yeah. ro- rolling Easter eggs down the where you don't have to give up anything out of your old life in order to continue. Yes. It's that's... like you can have all of that and you can have. Right. This. Don't, don't leave that. Just come to this, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think. I honestly. Oh, sorry. I was, just, I was just going to say, I think that's going to be in the, the Western church. I think, you know, that verse where Jesus talks about many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, away from me, I never knew you. It's kind of scary. Yeah. 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 
I don't want to be, I don't want to be the uh, thing on the receiving end of that, but I also don't want to be the reason that somebody doesn't know Yeah, the true Jesus, you know? Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy, like, um, you know, Rachel, for me personally, like leaving vocational ministry, working for a church and being into the work field and every day I'm surrounded by many, many unbelievers, like it just thrust me back into the world. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's been really good for me because, yeah. you know, I get opportunities to share with people that I wouldn't normally see or meet. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you work at a church, they come to you, they come to the church for, you know, it's believers coming to the church for help. Yeah. And um, if it's an unbeliever coming for help, it's not typically a spiritual thing. Occasionally it is, but not typically a spiritual thing. It's more of like, oh, I have a need. I need to pay a bill or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Or, you know, but anyways, the my point is, is that um, it's been more freeing for me because when I have to really trust that the truth is going to is going to do the work, that the Holy Spirit is going to yeah. inhabit his own his own gospel and um, yeah. and change a heart, you know, while while I'm sharing it, <laughs> you know, so you have to trust, and yeah, uh, and it's it's sloppy, and it's messy, and I love it, I love it, because there are people that have no interest in God, and God's entering into their world, and they're a mess, you know, yeah, it's the way it should be. Yeah, I mean, with <laughs> when we were not so heavily involved in ministry for a brief. This is just like literally one year. Um, it was really interesting because the more people that we met, sometimes we, our first invitation to them wasn't necessarily, oh, come meet us at church. It would be, come over for dinner, yeah. you know, if we wanted to get to know someone better, which I think is a lot less intimidating to have someone and invite them into your home if you want to have a relationship with them instead of outsourcing that opportunity for salvation or that opportunity to witness to the church and be like, Hey, just come, come to church with me and they'll do a good job of explaining the gospel to you. You know, like as a, I mean, I, I have many friends, I have family members where, you know, they've been hurt or burned by churches in the past. And so they don't want to step foot in one. Yeah. It's very intimidating and they don't want to be within a hundred feet of it, but they would totally come over for dinner. They would totally come over and hang out. They would totally come over and watch a movie. You know, like I want to make sure that I'm not just pointing them to a church in order to potentially, you know, right. them hear something and it changed their life. Like why not have someone over? Why not have someone over and experience, you know, Passover? You know, like, why not, like, come over and, hey, do you want to join us? You know, no pressure. You don't want to, just come over and have some food. And then you get to, I don't know, open up that door for a relationship and potentially getting to explain the gospel and the significance of why Jesus needed to come in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's it, getting into their lives and just being, re- I mean, and also too, it's sort of like the precursor to discipleship, right? So you, mm-hmm. you, you meet them, you connect with them, you break bread, you you start to get into their life, they start to share things with you. Those are all opportunities to share the gospel. And then time comes and the Lord moves and then they they surrender and trust in the Lord. And 
uh, now you're on discipleship mode. So now you got to meet, mm-hmm. you, you want to keep meeting with them and grow that faith into maturity where they begin to act on it and be obedient, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not going to happen through just plopping down in a seat, bringing someone in, filling a seats in an auditorium and hearing a very well-spoken, you know, message. Typically it won't happen that way. A lot of people do yeah. get saved that way. A lot of people come to the Lord that way. Um, you know, I'm not dissing that in any way. Um, but, but what I am saying is that it's going to take people being in their lives from the yeah. beginning. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know. Yeah. If I was a new believer, it would be a lot more <laughs> approachable to talk to a friend than it would be to find some random stranger at a church that I didn't know, you know, like I would want to go to my friend with questions Yes, and I wouldn't really know who to go to or if to go at all to a church to ask these questions. But yeah, but yeah, yeah just shows the importance of like your life as testimony and your life as a living, walking picture of the gospel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Man, that's so true. Well, that's cool. You know, for any of our listeners that, that are um, wondering this year, uh, Easter is on um, this Friday, the 15th. I mean, not Easter, I'm sorry. Passover is on the 15th. It's this Friday. It's Friday, April 15th. Is It starts and it and it goes, it's an eight-day celebration. So um, anyways, uh, if you're interested, in, we're going to put these resources out. I may connect them on Instagram or something like that, or you can email us. This is the direct podcast. This is the private, private episode. I should also say um, to our private podcast listeners you're getting a preview so we are going to probably um release this episode out to the main podcast the all-out war podcast um maybe next week Um, just as a bonus they can hear it and get an an idea of some of the things we talk about uh in the private warcast so um there's that (laughs) (laughs) oh man well rachel this has been cool uh anything you want to add anything you want to finish up with no it's been a lot of good stuff i wish i had a lot more resource to share but um no i think that i, I hope that it's given enough of like a you know inspiration for people to start searching and start diving into scripture and really seeing the last supper and even the passover in um the old testament in mm. a new light yeah and i'll put some of these verses like i'll put our show notes are going to be the place. So check out the show notes. I'll put them in there. And there are places for us to put some other things too. So I may be able to link a, a link to the PDF or something like that or something. So we'll, I'll look at it. But other, otherwise, you know how to, the best way to reach us is on Instagram. That's, I'm on that account. Um, we do have a Twitter account. You can reach me out, reach out to me there if you want. All of those things are um, on our website too. You can go to, to uh, Transistor. Uh, the transistor all at war dot uh, fm and you can email us there so <laughs> nice <laughs> it's all there it's all there um but uh anyways man well it's this is i think the fourth private this is the fourth forecast so that was cool you've made half of them rachel wow <laughs> and and rosie he missed one so he's three-fourths of them and I'm the only one who's been on every one. So there's that. I like it. It's an experience. 
like it. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more like the fun. after party. <laughs> it is. It's a little bit more fun for Rosie and I when we do this. And I just got to admit, like, I feel a little bit more relaxed. Um, I know, like, every person that's signed up, we have limited signups. It's only 50 spots. There's actually a few left over if people are still interested. But um, there's only 50 spots. So I feel like I know everybody, you know, that's signed up. So uh, I'm a little bit more relaxed. But in the main one, I, there's so many people that listen. I just don't even know so many of them. You know what I mean? And yeah. So it's it's hard to you got to kind of think about what you're saying a little bit. Anyways, that's stupid. But <laughs> all right, all right. Well, we'll catch you guys next time. The Warcast. This is officially number four. Done. We will catch you next time. <laughs> Catch you later. Thank you.